0: The Internet History Podcast is brought to you by MetaLab. Their slogan is MetaLab, we make interfaces. For a decade, MetaLab has helped some of the world's top companies and entrepreneurs build products that millions of people use every day. You probably didn't realize it at the time, but the odds are you've used an app that they've helped design or build. Apps like Slack, Coinbase, Facebook Messenger, Oculus, Lonely Planet, and many more. MetaLab wants to bring their unique design philosophy to your project – let them take your brainstorm and turn it into the next billion-dollar app, from ideas sketched on the back of a napkin to a final shipped product. Check them out at metalab.co. That's metalab.co. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Okay, here we go. Part three of our epic conversation with Stefan Paterno. Here's what happens when you've been through the ringer, when you've been to the top of the roller coaster and also down to the bottom. Here's how you take stock of your life, how you reinvent yourself, refine your entrepreneurial spirit. I feel like there are so many lessons in these three episodes. Lessons for entrepreneurs today. Lessons for, I don't know, people in the crypto space today. My thanks to Stefan Paterneau for an insanely great conversation. Part three right now.
1: It's sort of like what happened with cryptocurrencies recently, right? It just mm. y- There's a complete disconnect with what the utility they truly bring to the world right now versus the perceived value they're going to bring to the world, right? Everyone piled into crypto irrationally. It doesn't mean crypto is not going to work. It just means crypto hasn't gotten there yet and everyone piled in anyway because of the fear of missing out. So
0: so because I got to ask this because I've asked this of so many people, and never gotten a satisfactory answer, but you've been so good at giving so, so many facets of this. Was there a moment when you yourself were like, the music stopped?
1: Yeah, I could see the writing was on, was on the wall because we couldn't keep up. Right, the more we acquired, and the more we grew, and the more we barely managed to eke past our revenue numbers, the more the stock dropped. And I knew this was untenable. We could only buy so many companies. Right, as the stock price is dropping, your chances of buying companies is diminishing. And so it was a you could sense that the, the this this. Heart was going off the rails
0: Water is going out of the bucket
1: whatever yeah yes yeah, yeah. exactly whatever metaphor you want to yeah, use it was, yeah. it was i could feel it and then you know okay so then another thing happened to me personally that was totally left field and took my will to live out from me and that was that my dad suddenly got pancreatic cancer and i you know i was told suddenly that i have a complicated history with my dad and i never had the chance back then to get to know my dad and and get angry with him and get to know each other and learn to love each other. And suddenly I was told he was gonna pass away and I barely would have a month to, to deal with that. And he, you know, luckily for me, he survived his pancreatic cancer, which you, know, you have a 1% survival rate. And while this was all going on, while I thought he was still going to die, I, that same feeling that the cancer that's killing my dad is eating away at not just the globe, but the internet. There's something really rotten going on that's untenable Mm. And it's only the person with the most energy and the most salesmanship and the most money who's going to maybe be the one who, you know, who, who, who survives to the last and gets the final chair when the music stops. But I felt like, OK, the music is starting to stop for us. It's coming. I don't know how soon it's coming, because every time there was another pundit saying, oh, the bubble's going to burst, the, the bubble just kept getting bigger. Right. So you hear this enough. You're like, OK, the bubble is going to burst, but nobody knows when. So you got to keep playing the game. You know, it's too late now to just sort of take your chips off the table. You got to keep playing. And finally, in January of uh, 2000, my Todd and I got to a point where um, we'd already asked ourselves. At one point, Todd and I were thinking we should maybe just bring in another CEO, somebody with more experience to run the company than us. This was back in '99, but things were still looking up somewhat, and our board was like no, let's not change CEO. Uh, you guys are doing okay. You got challenges, but let's just stick with it. But Todd and I wanted them to know, like, we're really open to bringing on one of these gray-haired CEOs that probably knows this <laughs> better than us. Like, honestly, like, you know, Jerry and David at Yahoo did it. And, right. you know, it's like, this is not atypical. Uh, but no, so we stayed. And then finally in January, there was a little bit of an internal mutiny by a couple of our salespeople who kept feeling like Todd and I weren't necessarily doing enough job leading them through and above and out of this fog of war. And they'd been beating their numbers, but it was clearly getting harder and harder to do so. And they went and met with our our chairman, our principal investor, Michael Egan, sort of behind our backs. And when Todd and I found out about this, we were livid. And what was interesting is that instead of deciding to fight it, I think Todd and I suddenly saw this as our opening to actually let go. Mm. And I'm the one who's always more emotional and pushing and and Todd is more calm and methodical and, okay, Steph, let's be, let's be pragmatic and let's be systematic in our thinking. And so I was expecting Todd to sort of paint the number, do a paint by numbers on, here's what we're going to do, Steph. You know, we're going to go talk to Michael and we're going to talk to our team and we're going to work through challenge A, B and C. And instead... What surprised me was that, and I you know I was taking up that role, right? Oh, you know what? We're going to go tell them this and that and blah, 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 blah. And Todd was like, no, we're out. And I just remember that moment. It stuck with me forever because it was so different. It was so out of character for Todd. But he had this like a little Zen master moment where he said, no, we're out. I was like, what do you mean we're out? Like we're going to quit? And he's like, yeah, we're, we're out. We're done. And he said, that, deep, he said that to you or he said that to everybody? No, no he said that to me on the phone. Mm. He was in Aspen skiing, mm. and mm. it was right after Christmas. And, and Jesus, it, it, do you feel like he was
0: saying that to you for you as well?
1: I think he was saying it to, to – I think he was saying it out loud to himself as well. And I think he knew that if he gave me this sentiment, that I would know that I felt the same way as well. And I did, right? Because as soon as he said it, it felt right. I didn't fight him. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe Todd, that you feel like we're done. And I, I know I do. I'm just so used to Todd being more calm about it that it was like a it 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 had flipped he'd flipped the script on me. And I I wasn't gonna suddenly be the one who's all like, No, 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 we're gonna stick with this and keep going. I knew inside like my, my dad is dying and I, I feel like there's something really rotten going on here. There's a cancer spreading on the internet. Um, if everyone's going to be a casualty or if we're going to be the first casualty, so be it. Uh, but this is untenable. And so I knew that. And so Todd flew back to New York right away. We met up. We came up with our strategy. I, I First, I called back Michael Egan and told him that I was very disappointed that he'd taken a meeting with our, our sales guys without telling us, without giving us a heads up. That to me, that was a sign of losing confidence and that he was maybe looking for an excuse. Um, And I told Mike that that was it. You know, Todd and I are resigning. Um, And, you know, Mike was the one who then said, no, 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 hold on. You know, that sounds rash. We don't need you to resign. I don't want you to resign. But that that's what, that's what our sales guys had actually suggested to Mike. And the fact that Mike had taken a meeting and it was just it, it was clear to me that, there was some loss of confidence on one side, and Todd and I also probably had a loss of confidence that we could solve the what was ailing this entire internet market and uh, that was it and then Todd and I you know had, we met up at my apartment, had a couple of vodka shots, had this cathartic release, and came back to the office and told Mike uh, and his entourage that we're going to come up with an orderly plan, an orderly exit plan and that Todd and I would stay on, but as, as vice chairman of the board, and that we would help find a new CEO who has, who has a lot more experience in a traditional company and bring some new discipline and new ways of thinking to the organization and that everything would be fine. By the way, when we resigned, we still had something like $60 million in the bank. So despite the fact that uh, – and our revenues – we had, also when Todd and I resigned, we'd hit a record $7 million in revenue our fourth quarter. It was the highest revenue we ever had. So we actually felt like mm. this – You know what, we're leaving, technically, when the business is at its strongest ever, um, we have close to 20 million users a month, we still have tons of traffic, we're leaving the company in great shape, despite the fact that the stock has been languishing. Like, you and I, Todd, are burnt out, but the company has plenty of resources still, plenty of momentum, brand awareness, revenues, everything it needs to keep going. And so we felt actually that this was a reasonable thing we were doing, and we wouldn't just be letting the whole thing wouldn't just implode. And so we announced our quarterly results from the fourth quarter, which were great, 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 and then announced to the street we're going to have our our president uh, and chief operating officer Dean Daniels take over as interim CEO. Todd and I are going to stay. We're going to keep things going until we find a new CEO. And you know that was it. And I don't know how the stock responded. I feel I think the stock dropped a little bit that next day, but. We did a round of interviews. Some of the some of the press was, you know, were very cruel to us. And like, again, a reminder that Internet companies run by young kids was just the foolest the most foolish thing ever invented. And of course, the Internet is. Well, whatever, there was more about it was just about the globe. We didn't know at that point that the bubble was going to burst, uh, start bursting a few months later. So sometime in the spring of 2000, it started to deflate and then it deflated. Very fast, right? There was like a trillion dollars in market loss, and everyone was losing their mind. And something like 90% of internet companies lost 90% of their market caps, including you know Yahoo and Amazon, and all right. those guys dropped 90%. And I remember feeling some sort of Schadenfreude, at least that, well, we weren't the only losers out there. Everyone was crapping out. Obviously, later on, we know who the winners are, who stuck around and turned it around. I, know, uh, but,
0: I, I I say this to people all the time. I remember so clearly looking online the day that Amazon was a $5 stock. And I know that they haven't split since that day. There was yeah. a time when you could buy Amazon for $5. Yeah.
1: I mean, there was a time when Apple was $2, right? And right. it was like, it's amazing when you lose the vision and everyone was overexcited and then everything crap craps out. Like every, everyone just disappears, right? It's, it's, it's only somebody who's able to come back and believe in the future again and rebuild from scratch who's actually able to then prove to everyone it, it was valuable all along. And Todd and I ran out of steam. Um, and then when the bubble burst, you know, most of the pundits felt like the internet was a joke, right? The internet, yes, we We're all a fad. knew it was a giant fad. This internet is a giant joke. Never mind virtual community. That was obviously a giant joke. But the internet in general and people hyping it up and all that stuff, you know, it was a, it's just like crypto, right? Bubble burst with crypto 10 times faster, and guess what? I believe it'll be back 10 times faster. Um, and it will, it will completely transform the world, but that's okay. Everybody, everybody who, ha- who has no vision associates <laughs> something's value with its price. And the whole point is, is no, you have to look under something's price to see its true value. And of course, Facebook vindicated us and MySpace and all the other guys vindicated the virtual community model and of course Amazon vindicated itself and you know Google vindicated everyone that ever doubted that you know search engines and portals were going to have any value Um, Um, but yeah but but it took a while right from 2000 to 2004 when Google then went public and then eventually Facebook it was like a it was a bit of a no man's land for two three four years well actually
0: you, uh, you what about you I mean I we can go into other personal stuff like you, you were talking about your father but like that was a wild ride like I feel like uh, it, again and by the way I I will have plugged the book in a recorded intro and things like that we're getting into oh, cool. we're, 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 we're getting into <laughs> the you. book stuff oh yeah no 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 by the way it will have fully been plugged fantastic you like you wanted to be an actor at a certain point like oh, my main man. question well, okay, so
1: yeah this is the ep- this is epilogue stuff yeah, so you, yeah. Want, you want to okay wait this. you
0: know what let's let's say this now because again i will have plugged this at the beginning of the show yeah, yeah. this book is called a very public offering and by the way it was published what year like 2000 2001
1: 2002 no so 2001 was the first edition
0: yeah and and so listen as as people know, you know I've been doing this project for five years. I've had the hard copy for maybe four or five years. I read it for research for the book, but um, Stefan has uh, published a uh, an updated paperback version with an excellent epilogue that's going to talk about what we're about to get into about what he thinks about
1: all of <laughs> all of this craziness now. Well, you know, I'll just say this: that the reason I wrote the book in 2001 was mostly for personal reasons that I needed a way to communicate with my dad and to just sort of lay out everything and to be able to say things uncensored. Uh, also I I felt like I needed to document everything that had happened. So I originally was starting to just document notes. I was writing notes about everything that had happened. Um, I didn't know that it was going to be part of a bigger process I was going through, which is developing the, the concept of structure in my life, uh, because I'd been always all instinct and all emotion all the time. And so this was the, I, I turned my notes eventually into a book um, and published it uh, a, in 2001. And it was one of the first dot com books and, you know, got, it got reviewed. Some, sometimes it got great reviews and sometimes it got the classic hatchet job reviews, you know, this was a
0: fad who cares about this? Now? Yeah,
1: another young punk who has to use wants to talk about the failure of what the internet is, please, you know, we don't need to hear it. Um, but I got it out of my system. And most importantly, I knew my dad read it. And we eventually, my dad survived another 15 years. And it was in those 15 years, I got to know him for the first time. And I, I went through an existential crisis, you know, look, I, I spent a quarter of my life building this company at that time, was seven years. That's all I knew. The company was me. I was the company. You know, it was. I, we viewed ourselves as one. And therefore, when you when you associate yourself as being the company, and the company dies, what does that do for your self esteem? Uh, what, you know, let alone my income? All right, my income went to zero. My net worth mm. went to negative negative a million dollars. I actually had to go and ask my dad something I'd never asked him before, which is if you could bail me out of my apartment mortgage. Because I was gonna I was gonna lose my apartment as well, Um, and he he did something that was completely surprising to me, which is he actually did, He, he he loaned me the money to pay off my mortgage so that I wouldn't lose my roof, and then he said you know the rest is up to you to figure out, but he then read my book, we got to know each other, I got to know him in the way that I think most people like to know their families and bond and a lot of the things he told me while I was running the company, you know how Bear Stearns had screwed us with the IPO, those were things I didn't want to hear at the time. I thought he was wrong. I I was proud of what i built and having your dad really never tell you that he's proud of you and you know, only hearing it from third parties, you know, it was a it, it killed me. And having my dad finally tell me after all this time that he was proud of me, uh and that actually, more importantly for me, that he was right on so many levels of what, you know, what, what builds a good business and how to, th- how to think things through more deeply and organize things, you know, your, your thought process more just differently. Those are the lessons I've really taken away, right? I, I, 90% of what I have needed to learn through this existential crisis was on the way down, not on the way up, right? When things were going up, 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 you're making shit up as you go, you're doing the dance, you're spinning the plates, you're doing whatever... And you're not really learning anything. You're you're creating an ice bridge as you're skating, and it's you don't have time to think. Because when it crashes and burns, and you have an existential crisis, and you don't know what you're going to do for the rest of your life, man, you start to think. But then you realize that you can only think so fast. Most of the real learning I've done was after I well after I published that first book, over those these last 20 years, right? As I figured out how to reboot my career, uh, and and figured out, you know, to ha- how to invest, well, I, you know, before I go into the details, it was really about rebooting my career, trying to figure out who I am, how to socialize, how to do the very things all my friends and family had been doing all along in their lives, living a little more in the moment, having deeper, real relationships with the people around you, some of these most fundamental human things that I had not learned. Uh, let
0: me stipulate that we just had a, a recording issue and we're, we're back. What, what, Steph was talking about was that, and I'm going to put words in your mouth, Steph. Is that sure. you? You had to re, you had to rebuild your life because you were almost stunted because the, the the business took over your life and you didn't have the college years. You didn't have the what am I going to do with my life now that I'm graduated? Period. You didn't have all of a sudden you were thrust back into like reality after this crazy ride and like you had to you had to rediscover you had to find life.
1: Yeah, I basically had missed out on an adolescence, if you will. I had missed out on the normal order of things where you you have a regular college experience, you go out and have a job, you learn from that first job, maybe you get another job, maybe you go do your MBA, I don't know. It's a much more gradual growth curve, normal trajectory, you go out more, you, you get to know people more, you have deeper relationships, you're a little more in the present, all of that was just gone. The globe experience was, uh, I mean, it was like going through a wormhole where I just rocketed forward across the universe and came out the other side. And I was, I mean, you said stunted. I, I, I'd call it just, I had an existential crisis where I didn't know what I was going to do with my life anymore. Mm. You know, what were my skills? I, I had built a company, but what what was I good at that was employable? And do I even want to, would I be capable of having a job and working for another boss when I'd had this much freedom and power to Can implement I, a dream? Oh,
0: here's here's yep. something that I want to posit to you. And again, this yep. is me interrupting your story and, and throwing things in your mouth or... or... I you, uh, Stunted was maybe the wrong word. But... It, and and, and the, the the Globe experience didn't work out for you. But what about emotionally? And I'm almost wondering... I'm thinking of a Zuckerberg who was the exact same age, right? <laughs> now, he went on and is still... But I'm wondering, what you're describing is this sort of lack of, like, I didn't have the same experiences as my peers. Do you wonder, even if the globe had gone on to become a $500 billion company, is there something there that is robbed by having that sort of a whirlwind experience at that age?
1: There, there's no doubt that some, there, it's all trade-offs, right? We have a limited amount of time, and I know that your ability to truly grow as a person and be empathetic and compassionate and know really who you are takes time. And if you are on a rocket ship, you're too busy you know, guiding that rocket ship to truly grow in the ways you need. And when I honestly, when I watch Mark Zuckerberg right now, who has been flailing uh, with all of this, the political scandals and fake news scandals and... He, I mean, the scandals just keep piling up. It reminds me, uh, he reminds me right now where I was when we were public, which is your head is spinning. Everything's happening in real time and you're not prepared for this.
0: And even if it's successful, even if you are, are worth $60 billion, you're still missing some component of self, like some sort of. Course. of
1: yeah, you're, you're missing it. And you're also arrogant, you actually believe you're able to defy the laws of physics, because for a hot minute with the globe, I felt that way. I felt that I was some sort of a wonderkin, because everyone kept calling me that. And I'm a, you know, dot com whiz kid, I guess I am, you start to believe the, the hype. Uh, I remember once telling my girlfriend at the time, you know, like, let's not worry about if a trip we want to take or something we want to buy is too expensive, because for all intents and purposes, with $100 million, I feel like I have infinite cash. You know, now I look back on that and I I laugh because it was monopoly money. It was virtual. It wasn't real. And by the way, it can all go away really, really fast. And that's not fulfilling. Uh, You know, what's much more fulfilling is the journey itself. It's the challenge. It's the growth of it all. I mean, the business I'm building right now is not a rocket ship. It requires, you know, a long, hard slog um, to really transform, you know, an industry. And it's a long distance race and God damn it, I'm a human. And I want to live and feel like a human lives and feels. And I have a wife, have a child, but to do those things, you need to be human. You need to be in touch. You need to be able to communicate and feel and and you need to be able to lead. You know, to become become a, a good leader, you need to be, it's like becoming a good parent, right? I'm actually taking everything I've learned now over the last 20 years, this is the reason, by the way, I updated my book. It's been a long time coming. You know, it was one thing documenting a roller coaster ride. Sorry, it was, do- it was one thing documenting a roller coaster ride. It's another thing saying, what are the lessons I've really learned? And it took me these 20 years to go from giving glib answers about, you know, what to do, what not to do as an entrepreneur, to giving something a little bit more profound from experience.
0: Well, and, uh, from, and the experience of failure.
1: The experience of failure, and then the experience of picking yourself
0: up, (laughs) yes, rebirth
1: and growth, and what is what really matters, and the things that really matter to me now, trump any business, and I don't I don't define myself by the one company I build, and I no longer feel that it's important at all to create a story about yourself, a mythology about yourself. Um, that can just as easily turn against you and hurt you, right? If you believe that hype and all the compliments on the way up, you'll believe it when they, it goes negative and goes against you. And I think that you, you, you need to use it and understand what it is. It's a tool. It's a tool that can help you build a brand, build your business, attract customers, but don't believe the hype. And quite frankly, if the product really is all that good, just like with a movie, if the movie is really, really good, word of mouth will bring you your audience, Word of mouth will go out and, and spread, and it will, it will reflect the fact that this is a deserving product, a deserving service, a de- deserving story. There's no amount of lipstick you can put on a pig to make people believe it's anything more than a pig. And those are the things, Those are some of the things you needed to learn. But for me, the, the, the thing that mattered the most is the leadership thing. Because when I was 24 and insecure and, and running a billion-dollar company, I kept imagining that somewhere out there, are these amazing 50 year old leaders running large institutions. And these guys are just wise beyond their years and they know exactly what to do. And I'm not that, how do I become that? And so this is the whole structure thing, right? I I need, it turns out that when I published that book the first time round, it was probably one of the best things I could have ever done um, to help put structure around the experience I had and to make sense of it and learn from it. And now I'm a, I'm a very different. I'm a much more mature leader now with my my new company than I was back then. I care much more deeply now about the people I work with. I care much more about what type of daughter I'm going to raise, um, and I want to instill in her the values that I think really matter in this world, and are the same values I espouse for my my company, you know. And how do, how will she, how will my daughter become a great leader if I can't instill in her? some of my life lessons, right? So they cross over from business to personal life and back. And it took me 20 years and republishing my book and 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 holding my my feet to the fire and holding myself accountable and walking through the truth of what happened, what went wrong, um and you know this this book is essentially me resetting the record straight, setting it not just you know for the world to know but for for myself.
0: All right, as promised, I'm getting us to today. Let me to get us to the book uh you you were an actor for a while you went to acting school as you said in the epilogue of the book that (laughs) you actually learned a lot from going to acting school you recommend it to everybody um you went into angel investing um investments in things like lending club indiegogo angel list um involved in the uh founding of a production Uh, production company that among other things i think was responsible for john wick and and other great movies but all right the book which as i said was published um in 2001 i had the hard copy has been republished a very public offering the reason it's being republished is because there is a TV show is it a documentary half documentary? Tell me what no, Valley no, so, of the so, Boom. Tell me what Valley yeah, of the so, Boom
1: is. <clears throat> so Valley of the Boom is a scripted series with some documentary component. Uh, maybe twenty percent of it or something is, is documentary, and it completely caught me off guard a, a year ago when I heard that there was someone being cast uh, to play Stefan Paterno and Todd Kreiselman and Mark Andreessen and all these. Mm-hmm. These these people from the dot com uh, 1.0 era, and uh, then they pulled me in to do some interviews uh, to, to to talk about the experience with the Globe, and they've they've done that with a lot of different people, you know, Mark Cuban, Arianna Huffington, and very, various other people from the Netscape days, and they've woven that into this story. Uh, at this point, I've only seen the first two episodes, and it is probably the first. Real series, certainly uh, scripted series about that era. And I thought that era was long gone. You know, that was a chapter of my life, closed it, moved on, and I thought the whole world had moved on. And I couldn't imagine a series about this subject would be interesting. But I guess the showrunner, Matthew Carnahan, is, you know, an amazing showrunner, a, a creative genius, and he's managed to make this into a genre busting, incredibly fun, fast paced, energetic retelling of an era. And I was, first of all, I was shocked when I saw the series, I was having an out of body experience watching some actor uh, named uh, Dakota Shapiro playing me. I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't even understand what was going on. I felt like I was watching a subtitled Korean movie or something. And then I let it go for a day or two and re-watched it, and I started getting into it. Watching Todd and Steph, watching a young Mark Andreessen, and watching them try to figure things out, tinkering with their products. And I started rooting for them. Like I actually felt separate now from this thing, and I'm reliving this era and rooting for Todd and Steph. Come on, guys, you can do this. And what's really been astonishing to me. Is, and this show has brought it back into crisp focus is how incredibly far we've come since the birth of the internet. We all take it for granted because it's just been growing and growing and growing and growing. And we've been growing with it. But this show, you know, the, the two episodes I've seen of it brought me right back to 1994 and how incredibly unobvious the internet was and how people used to laugh at us when we explained what the internet was and virtual community. And they would tell us, like, why can't? You know, why normal people use the telephone? Why would they need to use anything else? And and if you want to write a letter, you should do it by hand. Why? You know, who would you? Who's going to write using electronic mail? You're not going to see any personality in that. You're going to lose all the personality. So it's an amazing thing to see, and I think the timing is is perfect because all of us who've grown up with the internet now, and maybe the next generation that's all that's has never known anything but the internet. I've probably seen that the internet has become perverted in some ways. It's become deformed. It's warped. Uh, social is no longer this utopian vision of connecting with friends and family. It's become these fake news echo chambers. It's in some ways it's become a wasteland. And, and not all of it. I mean, there's a lot of value in using Instagram and using Twitter. And everyone's there's a different tool for for every person. But it's no. It, In so many ways, it's become deformed, and the internet now, the whole internet stack needs to be reinvented, and it's no surprise that it is getting reinvented. Um, Web 3.0 is finally getting whispered uh, and, and coming to reality with the advent of blockchain. And of course, everyone you know sees the dollar signs with crypto, 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 but that's just that's just the noise, right? That's just like when people all thought, "Oh my God, I want to buy dot com stock" in the '90s. The real innovation is underneath with the blockchain. And you know, I'm a fan of Ethereum, but really, what they're all trying to do, especially Bitcoin or Ethereum, is create this this uh, trustless system that's decentralized where More of who you are, your identity, and your ability to transact is is decentralized, so you circumvent governmental bodies. You, You can circumvent traditional institutional bodies. Maybe your identity and your social engagements and your social graph won't be controlled by Facebook. And there'll be a greater level of transparency and trust and an ability to verify an entire history of how something came to be. Uh, right, which affects democracy and voting, everything, right? So it's we're at the very beginning of probably a sea change. And I think that it's more important than ever to be able to look back and see where did we start? How did we get here? How do we avoid the same pitfalls? Where do we need to pivot to correct these things? And I think that this whole new generation, what was exciting about hearing you say that your podcast is listened to, you know, largely... A younger, new generation of entrepreneurs is exactly... I was exact... going to say,
0: you're, you're preaching to the choir.
1: Like, that's I'm, what I'm I've so learned. I'm yeah. no, that's the truth. I was suspecting that my book, or certainly the TV series coming out, is going to appeal primarily to the new generation of entrepreneurs. Not necessarily... Well, maybe maybe everyone who's my age is going to reminisce, right, about the 90s and, and relive it all. I, everybody loves to rem- reminisce 20 years later. But I think it's really going to find its audience with a new, young generation. Like, the actual people who are the same age as the actors playing Todd and Steph and Mark Andreessen. Like, those young actors, they loved shooting this show. They can't stop talking about what an unusual experience the show was, but how much they had no idea about the beginning of the internet, and that this series has suddenly made them hungry to know more. And when I hear that from the actors, I'm thinking, oh my god. Okay, there's something really here with this series. Uh, So, I'm, I'm excited for the future of the internet um, and that we can course correct the, the, the how, def- however deformed it's become currently, uh, and probably bring it back a little bit more to its uto- utopian vision. And uh, I'm just excited to be a footnote in internet history and to be able to tell my story along the way.
0: Steph, uh, sorry to do this to you, but let's end with this. I tell me about sl- uh, slated in two minutes.
1: <laughs> um, so Slated is an online film finance marketplace. The, the, basically, the, the film industry hasn't been innovated on in 100 years. And even though everyone watches movies, everyone watches TV shows, the process of finding good films or TV shows and getting them made is as archaic as anything. It is back in the internet dark ages so as a massive film fan myself and my desire to just watch better and better movies and better and better tv series i decided to do something about it by creating the first online film finance marketplace Uh, for the tech world out there it's very much uh, angel list for the film industry so we've already helped uh, connect thousands of uh, filmmakers with lots of investors and distributors and there's movies out now in the theater that have been made by members of slated in fact Half of all the movies that got nominated for Academy Awards uh, or got into Sundance last year were made by slated producers, writers, and Wow,
0: rep- wow, wow,
1: wow, wow. Wow. Hope that covers it. <laughs> I-, I did not know that. Yep.
0: Um, listen, Steph, Pattern-O- I this might be the longest episode we've ever done, but there's a good reason for that. <laughs> it might be the my favorite and the best that we've ever done. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Brian. This is terrific. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading your book.
0: If you like what you've heard on this episode, please support us by subscribing to the podcast so you can get great news stories and conversations every two weeks. And please buy the book that was based on this podcast. How the Internet Happened, from Netscape to the iPhone, by me, Brian McCullough. Order it now, wherever books are sold, How the Internet Happened. And if you weren't aware, I host a daily tech news podcast every weekday that comes out at 5 p.m. In that show, I tell you what happened that day in the world of tech. It's only 15 to 20 minutes long, and it's great if you love tech news. Search your podcast app for Ride Home to find the show. It's called The Tech Meme Ride Home. Thanks.